He is risen. I want to welcome each one of you that is here. I want to welcome all of you that are online watching. Today is a very, very exciting day for believers who are, have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. As we've seen this weekend, we've seen how Jesus lived a perfect life. He offered himself as that perfect sacrifice for our sins. And then he was buried. And today we celebrate that Jesus is risen. When the women came to the tomb and they, they walked in and they saw what was, what was lying there and an angel appeared to them and these words were read to us already. The angel said, he is not here, he is risen. And these words are the foundation of our faith. Paul teaches that if Christ has not raised, are we are still in our sins. And so today we want to look at why is the resurrection the foundation of how we live out our faith? Very often we, we consider what Christ has done on the cross, we consider what he has done in being raised from the dead as the foundation of how we find faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. We recognize that because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we can be forgiven, we can be saved. We recognize that because Jesus has been risen from the dead, he is raised from, uh, to life, that we too can be raised to life so that we are born again and have a new life in Christ. But I think sometimes for many of us believers, we stop there. The Christ's resurrection from the dead is not only the foundation of being saved, of being converted, of having eternal life, it is also the foundation of being victorious in Christ in this life. And so today we want to look at what power does the uh, resurrection bring to our lives today? So we have read uh, different passages of, of Scripture this morning. We have watched the video. A few passages were uh, cited. I want to take some time today to look through a passage in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 14. And in this passage, Paul encourages us, and the foundation of the message of these verses is found in verse 10. And I'll start with verse 10. It says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow obtaining the resurrection from the dead. So this is the foundational truth that I want us to take home today, that Christ's resurrection is not only relevant for that first time we come to Christ, it is the foundation of our whole life following Jesus Christ. So let's read these verses together in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 14. It says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, or Christ Jesus my Lord, and for, those, or for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a, res, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow obtaining, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly word in Christ Jesus. So Paul begins in these verses, in verse 8, he says, I consider everything a loss. And later he says that I consider everything garbage. What does Paul mean with this? Does Paul teach here that we are to see everything we do in life as meaningless, as having no worth? It's not what he's saying here. He's making comparison. He's making comparison, comparing that what we do in life, even the joys, even the sorrows that we go through, and comparing them to the treasure of knowing Christ. This is a theme that Jesus taught as well. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus teaches these harsh words. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not teaching here we are to hate our children. He's not teaching us here that we are to hate our father and mother, or our friends, or our life, or our work. He's saying comparing to the treasure of following him, everything else should be as if we hate them. So it's not that Paul or Jesus is saying all these things we experience in our life, if they're here, for example, we're supposed to bring them here. We're just supposed to elevate Christ so far ahead, so far above of all the things that we experience on, in this life that the gap between them is as if there is a love compared to a hate. What Paul is teaching here is that we are to treasure. We are to treasure Christ above everything else. We are to consider everything as garbage. And again, he says, why? Because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The word used for knowing here is the word gnosis. And the, this is a Greek word that has this, un, um, this word of, or the meaning of understanding. It's not just a knowing of, of knowing some up here, whether something is true or false. It's an experiential knowing. And so when Paul is teaching here that we are to know Christ, he's not saying know who he is, know about him, read about him. He's saying that we are to know him experientially. And so it's not enough just to set aside and count our life as meaningless and comparing to knowing Christ. It is not enough just to know about Christ. We are called to know Christ. And that is what ultimately brings us meaning. Jesus teaches a parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And in this parable, he tells about a person who finds a treasure in a field. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. What Jesus is teaching in this parable, there is incomparable richness richness in knowing him. Being part of the kingdom of God, living under the authority of Christ, knowing him personally, following him as Lord and Savior is worth far more than anything we can experience in this life. 
And again, to this word gnosis, there's a depth to this knowing. There's a depth to this knowing that is deeper than just knowing information. I'll use an example. I think all of us know that it is very difficult for someone to lose their son or daughter to death. Perhaps we think of someone we know who has lost their three-year-old or four-year-old to cancer. We can see that and we can understand that that would be difficult. But some of you who are here have experienced losing a child. And while others know that it's difficult, you know that it's difficult in a much deeper, meaningful way than anyone could ever know it because you have experienced the loss. And the same is true here of of knowing Christ. Those of us who have been surrounded and, and bombarded, so to speak, with Christianity and and biblical truth, we know that we are to experience Christ. And we know there's a richness to it. But those of you who have had Christ sit beside you, in your darkest moments, you know Christ on a much deeper level than anyone could ever speak of. Some of you have experienced Christ on such a, a personal way, there are no words to compare it to. That is the knowing that Paul is speaking of here. It's not just a knowing that is in the head. It's not just a knowing that we kind of um, experience in the heart. It's a a deep-rooted knowing, relationally, of Christ. And then he continues in verse 8. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So he talks about knowing Christ, and then he talks about gaining Christ. And here is the invitation of the gospel. It is not just enough to put all other things aside. And in the Bible, we use this word of repentance. It's forsaking our past. But we are also to pursue something. We are to gain something. And what is it that we are to gain? We are to gain Christ. We are to be found in him. It is... In Christ that we obtain our righteousness. Isaiah chapter 61 verses 10 says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Those of us who have gained Christ have the righteousness of Christ over us. When God sees us, though we have born into sin, though we have sinned, Christ, because his righteousness is over us, when God sees us, he does not see our failures, he does not see our sin. He sees Christ's righteousness over us. And this righteousness is such that we cannot gain it on our own. We only gain this righteousness of Christ because of Christ. We do not gain it on our own. Isaiah 64 verse 6 reminds us that all of us have become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. 
Isaiah is not teaching here that our good works are filthy rags. He is saying in comparison to the righteousness of God, in comparison to, we could say, the righteousness of Christ, our good deeds are as filthy rags. We are not able to earn it. We are only able to accept it. And this is the good news of Easter. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, we can be forgiven Christ's righteousness can be imputed onto us so that we stand fully righteous before God. And then we continue to verse 10. And this is the power of this message. This is the power of this sermon this morning. And he continues, says, I want to know Christ. If you have your highlighter, if you have your pen with you in your, in your, with your Bible today, I would love for you to underline this here. I want to know Christ. It does not say here, I want to know about him. I want to check things out. I want to know him. We, have set, we are called to set all other things aside. We are to consider them a loss. We are to consider them garbage, not because they are a loss, not because they are garbage, but because they fail to compare to the riches of knowing Christ. The question for us this morning is, do you know Christ? Not, do you know about Christ, but do you know Christ? John chapter 17, verses 3, Jesus teaches this. He says, now this is eternal life. Eternal life is something that we all want. What is eternal life? He says that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing Christ. Perhaps our definition of eternal life is shallow. We think of golden streets. We think of all kinds of things. We think of the most beautiful place we could ever think of. But heaven without Christ is no heaven at all. Eternal life without Christ is no eternal life. There is no life apart from Christ. And so Christ is the central character of eternal life. And this is why Paul encouraged us, he exhorts us to know Christ. So again, do you know Christ? Do you have a desire to know Christ? And then he continues, he says, yes, he wants to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. What is this power of the resurrection? Paul, in a different place, calls the resurrection power the same power that raised Christ from the dead resides in us. So to know the power of the resurrection is to know, first of all, the one through whom this power comes, but it is also to experience it uh, personally in our own lives. I think many times we become discouraged when we see God working in others. Perhaps you're here this morning, you're listening to this online, and, and your friends talk about this amazing experience they have with Christ. They talk about answered prayer. They talk about victory in their personal life. They talk about these amazing experiences with God, and you're there, and it says, I wish that was me. I wish that was me. 
The message of Easter is not only that we can be saved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is that we can experience the resurrection of Christ every day in our lives now. Why? Because if we are in Christ, we have eternal life, and if we have eternal life, we have resurrection power. Yes, this resurrection power is not fully complete. There is going to be a day when our bodies are resurrected so that our rebirth is complete. But to experience as resurrection power is possible for us today. So what does this resurrection power look like in our lives? It is this resurrection power that opens us up for God to speak to us personally. And God speaks to us personally through his word. But because Jesus is alive, when we open the scriptures and we read and we hear, it becomes alive. It changes us. It transforms us because Jesus is alive. Resurrection power. Resurrection power is the power of God that changes us into the image of Christ. God is, Jesus is not a dead savior. He is alive. He is working. He is a way maker. It is the power of God working to transform our hearts to line up with his. Jesus is actively involved through the Holy Spirit in our hearts, transforming us, softening us, emboldening us, transforming us through resurrection power. It is the power of God that multiplies our faithfulness. When we are weak, he is strong. It is the power of God, resurrection power, that makes us bold in sharing the gospel. It is the power of God, resurrection power, that helps us to overcome hardship. And all of these things, if you have Christ, you have power. Not your own power, not somebody else's power, but the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And this is important for us. Too many Christians walk around looking down, discouraged, defeated. Not because they don't have the power to overcome, but because they don't embrace the power to overcome. And this morning, this Easter season, I want us to be reminded that the resurrection is not just so that we can be saved, it is so that we walk in victory. But then Paul kind of switches this, and we, we kind of wonder, what's the connection here? And then he says, I want to participate in his suffering. He says, in participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. So to understand what what he's saying here, I think we need to understand this both theologically and also practically. First of all, and we see how Paul expounds on this in Romans chapter 6, we identify with Christ's suffering and death in the sense that we accept his work on our behalf. We recognize that as sinners, we are to, we, uh, the, the wages of our sin was to suffer for our sins. The wages for our sin was to die for our sins. And so Christ suffered and died on our behalf so that when we identify with him, we, he takes our place. So we understand that theologically. But there's also a practical aspect to this. And that is that we suffer in this life. Perhaps this is through persecution. Perhaps this is just because we live in a fallen world. There are basically two different kinds of suffering in the scriptures. 
The first one we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 16. And here it says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. It's a type of suffering that many of us who live here in Leamington perhaps don't have a lot of experience with. But it's a type of suffering where we lose everything because we are followers of Christ. I recently returned from a trip to Belize. And in the community that I visited and that I ministered in, the church was full of people who's, who have family that have completely forsaken them because they are followers of Christ. Many of them have lost up to 90% of their customer base because they are followers of Christ. They are suffering because of Christ. But they are experiencing resurrection power, and because they are experiencing Christ, they have gained Christ, they know Christ, it's worth it. The second type of suffering is suffering because we live in a fallen world. Our children get sick. We become sick. We, make uh, we, we sin. Others sin against us. We hurt others. Others hurt us. And in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this hurt, in the midst of these questions, resurrection power means that we are overcomers. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 to 10 says this, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly because of my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is Paul teaching here? He's saying that our life at times is very hard, but he uses the word power twice here. And it's the same power that he speaks of in the Philippians. It's power, resurrection power, that if we embrace it, God's power is made perfect in weakness. We do not boast because of our strength, we boast all the, all the more gladly because of our weakness. Why? So that Christ's power, resurrection power, may rest on us. It is something some, sometimes said by people that God will never give us more than we can bear. I have often thought of this, and I have searched the scriptures, and unfortunately, this promise is not found in scripture. We like to comfort ourselves with this because we don't like the idea as of us ever being asked to suffer in such a way that it is too much for us. People perhaps think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13, where, where uh, Paul teaches us that God promises never to allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But he provides a way out. But God has never promised that we will not suffer in such a way that is too much for us to bear. God has never promised to keep you from deep pain and hurt. Well, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the message. Christ's resurrection power is stronger than everything that you cannot bear. Perhaps you're in a season and perhaps you just found out that someone that you know or someone that you love or maybe you 
have found out that you have cancer. Perhaps you just found out for the first time that your spouse has been unfaithful to you. Perhaps that you, you just heard news that is devastating and you have no idea how you will keep going. We could say perhaps it's too much for you to bear. But because of Christ's resurrection power, you can continue. Can I encourage you today? You will continue because of resurrection power. And then in verses 12 to 14, here's the practical encouragement from resurrection power. Because of the power of the resurrection, we press on. Because of the power we have in Christ and everything we, have, we need we have in Christ, we lack nothing, so we press on. He starts in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained all of this. It's not as if when we are born again, when we accept Christ and, and God gives us this new heart and new desires that we are fully completed. God is in the process of sanctifying us, purifying us, transforming us so that we are more like Christ. That is a process that will continue. Paul states here, it's not as if he has already obtained all of this. In other ways of saying, resurrection power is not for perfect Christians. Resurrection power is for those of us who have not fully arrived yet. And that is for all of us. Paul is often looked to as someone who is a great example of faith, and he is. But here, he admits, and we admit with him, not that I have already obtained all of this. In other words, it's saying, not that I have already fully come to know Christ. Not that I have already fully understood and embraced Christ's resurrection power. But yet, we continue and we seek and we are open to what Christ um, shows us. And then he continues, or I have already arrived at my goal. So, in, in Paul's writing, goal kind of has two parts. First, the end goal is to be faithful until Christ comes back or Christ calls us home. We have not yet reached that goal. We are, not on, we are still on this side of glory and not on the other side. We have not yet reached that goal. Another part of, of it is being Christ being perfected in us, meaning that when we stand before God, our heart... Our character, our thoughts, our motives are 100% aligned with Christ. That is our goal. That should be our goal. He says, not that I have already arrived at my goal. And here's another interesting thing that I've observed in my life, and I know many of you who are, have been believers for a long time have experienced this as well. The closer we get to Christ... The deeper understanding we have of him, the more we know him experientially, it is often the more we feel how far we still have to go. So as you are growing in your relationship with Christ, perhaps you think, I thought I knew all of this. I thought I was well on my way. Why am I feeling like I still have so far to go? It is because you are beginning to know Christ and you are recognizing how big of a gap there is from our perfection to Christ. And the deeper you get to know Christ, the more that gap will become obvious. So do not be discouraged by how far you have to go yet. Be encouraged by, by, by how far Christ has already taken you. 
so that we can be encouraged with what Paul tells us next. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. What, ha- what does Jesus have in store for you? A life of resurrection power. Because Jesus lives, we can keep going. And when we fail, we can keep going. One of the hardest times it is, hardest times to get up and keep going is when we really fail. And we feel like such failures. We feel like we've come so short. But because Christ is alive, because we have resurrection power, when we fall, when we fail, we do not need to go back to the starting line. We need to continue in grace in Jesus Christ. So if you are here today and you find yourselves and you feel like you've fallen and you've fallen short and and you're kind of beating yourself up about it and you're wondering, have I not learned anything? Be encouraged by these words. Do not go back to where you were. Keep going from where you fell so that Christ's resurrection power can be a testimony for God's work in you. We need to recognize that the life that Jesus calls us to is a life of abundance, is a life of fullness, and is not a life of destruction. Jesus compares the life he calls us to and the life that Satan tries to bring to us in John chapter 10, verses 10. And here he teaches this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What is Jesus teaching here? He's teaching that we have an enemy who seeks to destroy. He seeks to break down. He seeks to kill what God is doing in us. But Jesus has not come only to give us eternal life in the sense that we are saved from our sins, he has come to give us resurrection power so we can continue to live a full life. Too many believers have a view of Satan kind of just being kept at bay and once we're saved and then God just kind of moves on from us. And then our whole life in following Christ is characterized by this fight against Satan. But because we're in Christ, because we live in resurrection power, we can embrace that full life. Not just a life that is coming, but a life that is now fully surrendered, living in the power of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5 continues. And he says, My message and my preaching were not without were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This resurrection power that we have in Christ is the power that gives us the words, the boldness to share Christ with others. And it is the uh, power of Christ that gives us the understanding of how to walk with someone who is not in Christ yet. But then Paul continues and he says, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. 
Believers that live in the resurrection powers are, are believers that do not live in the past. Believers who live in resurrection power are believers that live in the future. Not that they have already attained the future, but because they are hopeful, they are confident that God is not done with them yet. We forget what is behind. We live for what is in front of us. An easy illustration for us is just think of driving our vehicle and we're on the 401 and we're driving to Toronto from, from wherever. How many of us would arrive safely in Toronto if we drove the whole way to Toronto by looking in the rearview mirror? Many of us may be able to find a way to kind of stay on the road, but none of us would get there safely. And I think too many believers live their whole lives with a, a fascination, a fixation on their past, what God has all saved them from. And they think fondly to the time that Jesus forgave them their sins. They think fondly of their conversion. But the power of the resurrection is a message that we look forward, not back. We forget what God has forgiven us from. Not in the sense that we're no longer thankful for it, but we do not find our identity in it. So brother and sister in Christ, perhaps before you were an alcoholic, perhaps before you were living in immorality, perhaps before you were a liar, but now in Christ, because of resurrection power, you are no longer that. You forget what you were, and you look towards what will come. And then he continues, says, straining, that is what is ahead. Psalm 37, verses 23 to 24 says this, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he, may, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And then in verse 14, he says this, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly word in Christ Jesus. He used the word press here. He doesn't use the word skip and doodle-daddle. He doesn't word, use the word, you know, run. He words, uses the word press. Paul recognizes, and we recognize that our, our lives, our time are hard. There are times when we need to press on. There are, needs a there are times when we need to endure. But we do not need to endure on our own strength. We press on towards the goal to win the prize because of what is before us. And because we know that Christ is with us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2 says this, Therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the, mark, the race marked out for us. And then he says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand, right, right hand of the throne of God. I want to invite the worship team up. As we reflect on Easter, 
as we reflect of where we find ourselves in life today. Perhaps there are those of you here who are in this room, perhaps you're listening to this online, you feel defeated. You feel like there's really nothing to live for. Perhaps you look forward and your future looks bleak, it looks hopeless. But because of Christ, because of resurrection power, there is a future. There is a life of abundance. There's power and victory for you. So today we want to sing um, that, that because of Christ's uh, resurrection, we are free. And so let us close in a word of prayer and then we'll sing a closing song. Jesus, thank you so much for rising from the dead. Thank you for mu- so much for promising us this power that we are equipped, we are animated, we are empowered to live a victorious life. You call us to uh, forget what is past, and you call us to embrace that which is forward for us. We press on. Jesus, I pray that this will give us hope and a future that we can embrace in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.